Welcome to the Curious and Connected podcast, where we're trying to connect students in our EDD program and beyond to foster a sense of community. My name's Leah, and I'm joined by my co-host. Monica here. Yes, our co-host Kala could not join us today, but today we are talking to our guest of honor, Katie Weir. Um, so Katie, tell us about you. So however you kind of want to take this personal work, education, just tell us a little bit about you. Absolutely. Monica, Leah, thank you so much for having me today. Just a little bit about me. I went into my career path thinking I wanted to be a psychologist and I was really interested in humans and their behavior. And along the way, I stumbled across working in elementary school. I shadowed a counselor. And as I was shadowing this counselor, I realized I have to be around little people the rest of my life. So it really changed the trajectory of my career. So long story short, I was a kindergarten teacher, uh, then uh, taught various upper grades and quickly became interested in being a school leader. So I, after about six years in the classroom, I became an assistant principal. I was an assistant principal for a few years and then I've been a principal of two different schools in Northwest Reno, which is just east of Sacramento in North, uh, Northern Nevada. And then uh, right now, in about four days, exactly, I will be starting a new position as the Director of Professional Growth Systems within the HR department of my school district. Snaps, snaps all around for sure on that one. How about uh, anything you want to share personal-wise or whatever kind of comes to mind? Sure. So I um, have always been a learner from the time I was a, a little kid. And... I am now raising two small little humans that I hope become learners. So I have Charlotte who's four and Richard who's two. And whenever I'm doing something remotely close to education, both of them say, or at least the oldest one says, mama, stop teaching me. Um, But after I had my second little human, I decided that that was it. And I wanted to do something for me. And I really thought long and hard about what that was. And then I stumbled across the EDD program, that little program at Vanderbilt. And I thought, instead of having a third kid, I'm just going to get a doctorate. <laughs> Your third <Yeah>. baby. <laughs> yeah. This is my final baby. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That's an amazing journey, just going from, I mean, we're related, but very different paths, like you're saying, some from psychology to education. Um, that's pretty amazing. It, it also really speaks to like why people should shadow as much as possible because there's so many fields out there that I've never heard of <laughs> that are super interesting and shadowing is such an interesting way to get that. Absolutely. And I think if you would have asked me at 17 if I was going to be a school principal or a director and work in human resources for a school district, I would have looked at you like you were crazy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, that goes into our next kind of question. So you've got a lot going on. You've got this this EDD program, two small kiddos, starting a new job. So what kind of, what do you like to do when you're not working or uh, not doing classwork? What, so what helps you kind of reset? Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this question. I, I feel that perhaps I'm not very good at this one. And maybe that would be true of quite a few of us in this program. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm in this program for fun. Like that's a weird thing to say, but I look forward to sitting down and doing the asyncs. Maybe not so much some of the textbook and article reading that we have to do, but I, there are 
definitely fun aspects to being in this program. Uh, but besides that, for fun, uh, I really enjoy being outside. I'm really close to Lake Tahoe. And so I spend a lot of time up here in the mountains. It's a beautiful alpine lake with a bunch of beautiful hiking trails. I'm a runner when I get a chance to do it. So one of my proudest accomplishments is I've run in the Reno Tahoe Odyssey, which is a 178 mile race around Tahoe. You do it in a team and it's 24 hours racing nonstop. Wow. And I've done it twice, once before I had a baby and once after I had a baby. And I'm really Damn. proud of that. Wow. And- <laughs> That's so amazing that we leave a curse on this podcast. <laughs> Damn, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so that's a it's a really fun race. It's mostly on incline and elevation up in Tahoe, and I hope when we finish this program to run it one more time, wow. uh, kind of as a post uh, doctorate adventure uh, race. Uh, but um, I love to do that. I, I feel like just the time by myself running is is very therapeutic what else Um, i'm really into music i actually grew up in austin texas the live music capital of the world wow and i know that our program is based out of nashville but austin has an incredible (laughs) music scene as well and i really love going to live music i'm a musician myself i was a competitive pianist uh, in my childhood and I sadly have not continued to play, but I have vowed that when my children start taking music lessons, I will return to playing the piano and engaging as a music student myself. So, uh, but I love going to concerts. I, I feel, I love the connection with the artists in the room. It's one thing to listen to them on Spotify, but it's another thing to be there and feel the emotion that's emanating from them in a concert venue, especially a small one. As much as I love some of the really famous people, as a kid in Austin, we would go to this dive bar with my parents where there'd be maybe 13 people in the audience and just mm-hmm. the musician with the guitar and maybe a harmonica. And it just fills me with nostalgia, feelings mm-hmm. of my childhood, that singer-songwriter type musician. and. So I really enjoy trying to find those here in Reno or from vacation if I'm back in Austin. I was able to find one in Nashville, this mm-hmm. awesome coffee shop right by campus that had all these singer-songwriters come play songs trying to get discovered by labels. And it was just awesome to sit down and listen to these incredibly talented people share their gift with us. So I think music is a big thing I enjoy. Um, and when I'm working on my schoolwork, I definitely have uh, classical music playing in the background. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I feel like I, yeah, I feel like I got a great understanding of who Katie is. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for that. That's awesome. I love, that. I love pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Don't we all? Those of us that can eat pizza, I think many of us. Yeah. Agree with you there. <laughs> um, so our next question, switching gears a little bit, but it's fun because you said that this program is like a fun, you know, adventure for you in a lot of ways. And I think it is too. Um, so tell us about a topic that has really spoken to you in our course content so far. Yeah. So a lot of things came to mind as I mulled over this question. So I'm going to go at this slightly different, at a slightly different angle. One of the things I've most enjoyed and the learning I've really appreciated the most from the program is from everyone else in it. 
I've been in this education bubble for 15 plus years as a professional. And it's really nice to be around people who aren't in K-12 education solely, or if they are, it's a very different approach. It's a private school in Connecticut. It's a music school in Michigan. It's a director of admissions for a small university or college. Um, Monica, you're engaged in education, but through a medical lens. Uh, so that's been really wonderful to hear how people connect some of these big picture things that as an educator, I think about all the time. In the very beginning, our first course, thinking about sense making and meaning making, I guess I knew those things to be true, but I didn't have a label for them and I mm -hmm. didn't have research behind them. So I think that was a really powerful first step in my LLO learning journey. I also really enjoyed last semester thinking about different aspects of human resources that I'd never considered before, especially moving into a role that's in the human resources realm for the first time for me as a director. One of the things that st sticks out to me in last semester's content is we talked a lot about coaching and I've always thought about coaching from the educational lens. Mm -hmm. and we spent a little time thinking about the difference between directive coaching and facilitative coaching. And as a supervisor, especially as a principal, you do a lot of directive coaching. You tell people what to do, you tell them what you want, <laughs> what the expectation is. But really in a lot of settings, that's where bosses or supervisors live the whole time. And sure. we need to be intentional about being facilitative as well and growing people. Kind of give you going right off that for listeners who maybe haven't taken that course yet. Do you want to just kind of give a very brief overview of that facilitating coaching lens? Absolutely. So thinking about, we, we talked about different levels of support. We talked about resources. We talked about helping people identify their strengths. Um, I took a, one of those strengths finder uh, surveys once upon a time. And one of my strengths was identified as being a maximizer. And essentially a maximizer is someone who helps everybody else to reach their fullest potential. And when I think about our conversations of the coaching lens in that coursework, I really think about how we elevate those around us to be their best, right? And that ultimately helps our organization or, or whatever our agenda is move forward in a meaningful and productive way. And I really loved thinking about those at the same time because I'd never quite made that connection. Uh, I also really appreciated in the midst of all that conversation, talking about the four frames with which people mm -hmm. think. So thinking about that from a structural frame, mm -hmm. what are the organizational trees in place? I'm now a member of an organizational tree I do not understand in mm -hmm. HR. I don't understand all the roles, how they all fit together, who supervises mm -hmm. whom. Mm -hmm. Whereas in my previous role, I really understood, okay, it's the teachers, then the teacher leaders, then the assistant principal, then the principal. If somebody gave me their title, I knew exactly where they fit in the structural hierarchy. Now, I don't. They come in their title and they say, I'm an HR staffer. And I say, oh, okay, great. And then I don't really know where that fits in the system. <laughs> <laughs> um, and That's then, so funny you say that too, because you're like, before this program, I would have been like, all right, cool. I'm not really sure what to do. I'm not really sure how that fits, but we're going to keep it moving. And now we're all like, can I see that? Like, can I see the structural tree? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, which I think um, is good, right? We should mm -hmm. be more aware, especially if we're 
in positions of influence within organizations, yeah. right? We should know how all the cogs fit together. Um, and then thinking about the, especially with the coaching, uh, the coaching ideas and principles, really thinking about the political frame mm -hmm. and how we help to galvanize people, get people excited about things and a part of things where it doesn't feel directive. It no longer feels like an order and it more feels like they're a part of a movement. They wanna be a part of something. There's this collective capacity to make change. Those are all exciting things. For sure. Well, how do you, uh, how do you feel about that part of the political frame that really embraces conflict? You know, that kind of, it was like a beautiful way of like symbiotic like relationships, but we know that conflict is so heavily ingrained in that. So I'd love to hear your yeah. thoughts. Well, I think, especially in the world with which we live, um, we live in the conflicts, conflict space more than we realize. Uh, and we have to be intentional and strategic about how we handle that conflict. Um, I think one of the things I really appreciate about this program is that we didn't read the dealing with difficult conversations texts. And I think Dr. Campbell actually called that out in one of our uh, live sessions together. And he said, this used to be a part of the coursework, but we don't read this book anymore. But I do think that there's one of the other really key learnings that I think is woven throughout this entire program is thinking about bias. Mm -hmm. Right now we're learning about it within our research, research mm -hmm. course and our um, organizational learning course, thinking about implicit and explicit bias. But I also think the political frame had us think about that too, right? Mm -hmm. And um, how that frames decisions and how that frames conflict um and how perspective drives some of that right mm -hmm. and people may not even realize that they have a bias towards something that's creating a conflict until you spend a little more time with them um, <laughs> I think in my new position one of the jobs I supervise so in thinking about the structure that I don't quite understand <laughs> I do understand this structure within my little micro department because I'm now their boss but one of the positions that's directly under me in the structure, the organizational chart, is what's called the leadership development coordinator. And leadership development coordinator's job is to mentor the brand new novice assistant principals and brand new novice principals. And as she's been meeting with them over the past few weeks since the school year ended and a new school year's going to start and they're ramping up, the biggest thing she's talked about that every single, or not every single, but many of them have mentioned is conflict diversion. They're worried about conflict uh, and what that looks like within their schools or their positions and they just want to please people. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we really talked about as a, as a way to confront that head on is to think about building consensus and really what is it going to look like to build consensus within your organization? So in this case it's a school because you're never gonna have 100% agreement, but you do have to move on. And that's really challenging for a new leader because they do so desperately wanna do the right thing, but they also, chances are, really wanna be liked in, in the education space. I know that might not be the case of other organizations and their leaders, but in the education space, especially principals and assistant principals want to be liked. They wanna be liked by the parents, by the students, and by the staff. Right? 1,000. And that really weaves back right into those other two frames, HR frame of how do we help people? This organization's here for you. How can we help you? And then 
right into symbolic. So we're we're galvanizing people, putting them around this ideal that we are, you know, promoting as our vision and our values as a organization. So I love how that all comes together in that sense making process that you, you talked right? about in the beginning. <laughs> Isn't that <Yeah>. amazing? <laughs> and it's fun too to recognize that your focus weaves in and out of different frames. Like sometimes when you come into something, especially if it's a turnaround. Uh, situations. So for example, my first principalship, I was in a high-performing school. The students were performing well, and there wasn't this tremendous sense of urgency to bring about change. Then after four years of success there, students continue to do well, teachers continue to do well. I was asked to move to the lowest performing school in our district, minus the school that's held uh, on the Indian reservation. And that really changes which frame you need to use initially. And while I think perhaps my um, my head would have said structural, right? What are the structures that we need to come in and change? One of the things we talked about a lot in class is change isn't always good, right? And restructuring doesn't solve problems all the time. I think that's really good for people to hear and think about and process. But I didn't have names for it at the time. But what I now understand I did is I really spent time in the symbolic frame, building back the narrative of who the school was and really instilling that hope in the students, the parents, the families, the teachers, that this was a school of kids who can do great things and are strong learners and can show what they know on a state test. And we don't have to be the school that always fails in the neighborhood no one wants to live in. Um, in a place that people think, oh, it's a downgrade for you to go there as principal. I can't tell you how many people were so sad for me that I was moving to this school mm-hmm. when I first got the position. Um, and I really think using the symbolic frame is partially what I did. I just didn't realize I was doing that, but really building it back up of what does it mean to be a teacher, educator, learner within this space? Uh, and yeah. how can we achieve success in a, in a short time? And I think I spent a lot more time there than structural, but I think my novice leader self, if I would have gotten that job as my first principal job, would have spent way too much time in structure. Right. Yeah. That is pretty, that's such a great example of putting all those things into practice. That's a, that's super powerful. We have a saying in the medical system of like, people don't care how much, you know, they, they want to know how much you care. Uh, So it kind of goes back to that of like building the symbology, building the relationships, getting to the point of like, what are we actually doing here? And we're trying to help people. So I love that. Well, why don't we wrap our up with one more question, which, you know, we're in this LLO leadership and learning organization thing. So here's our last question, which is what does leadership mean to you? Or what does your ideal leader look like? Like either of the two. Yeah. So I actually am charged with answering that question in my new position for my district. So creating a committee that works on that work and uses that as a lens for everything we do moving forward. So administrative hiring, administrative professional learning, administrative job descriptions. So basically everything that we believe to be true about school leadership, I, through the help of a four point, $5 million grant will hopefully build out what we're calling the leadership pathway over the course of the next three years to really 
figure out what we think about that. Um, so we haven't quite landed yet. Obviously, this work just started. I'm, I haven't officially even started until July 1st. Um, but preliminarily, this was really interesting work. So there were 120 administrators within my district who were interested in working on this work, which is pretty staggering. And trying to herd all those cats, right, corral them all into uh, some common work, we really talked about brainstorming the portrait of an administrator. And while this is a draft, certainly, I just want to read some of the elements of this because I thought it was an interesting way to answer this question. So we basically came up with one, two, three, four, five, six different buckets. So we said, first of all, the portrait of that administrator or that leader within our district is a visionary leader who developed shared understanding of a commitment to mission, vision, and core values within the school community. They're an ethical and professional leader who show intelligence by tending to the well-being of self and others. Mm -hmm. They're an innovator who aligns and focuses curriculum and instruction by empowering and motivating all stakeholders for continuous learning and improvement within a safe and respectful learning community where all are valued, known, and respected. They're an advocate. So they're someone who fosters strong relationships and two-way communication to support student success. They're an inspiring catalyst who guides change through cultivating trusting relationships, ensuring equity and access, and driving academic and social emotional improvement while managing uncertainty, risks, and the politics of change. And finally, they're a strategic leader who develops and sustains the capacity of each individual, individual by managing resources through professional learning communities with high expectations for all. Cool. So that is certainly a draft. They are fully loaded. <laughs> yeah, but it's a Love great it. place to start, right? Absolutely. And so now we really need to unpack um, if these are statements that we believe to be true, there has to be action behind them. And then mm -hmm. there also has to be professional learning that supports them and accountability for the people who hold that position. So yeah. that's what that's what work on for the next three years, which is exciting. That's super exciting. I can't wait to check back in and see how that's going. Yeah. Uh, but then for me personally, I, I, I couldn't help but want to answer both questions. <laughs> <laughs> but then for me personally, I thought back to what, what were the core beliefs that I first introduced to my brand new staff when I was coming to the turnaround school? And granted, this is a few years before we started the LLO program, but I thought these would be just interesting to hear. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I am excited at the end of the program to see if any of these change. If I, if I still feel like they're my core beliefs or if there's mm -hmm. some that I feel like I've left out. So as you listen to these, listen to these to a lens of pre-LLO, okay? <laughs> okay. okay. They're pretty short. So my first one is all students can learn. Mm -hmm. My second one is education is the cornerstone to a successful life and is vital to our democracy. Third, great educators are lifelong learners. Fourth, it takes the village. And fifth, my leadership style is servant leadership, listening, awareness, and commitment to the growth of others. And I put in parentheses, maximizer. So interested to see if I feel that that's complete or I want to add to, subtract, uh, tweak, anything listed there when we're done. 
I love that. I love it. We're going to have to do a follow-up uh, episode down the line. Um, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> to be continued. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us today and spending some time with us. Um, and to anyone listening, we hope you will join us for our next episode of Curious and Connected. <laughs> thank you guys so much. It was wonderful to spend a little time in your space this afternoon.